Hey everybody, you've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. And this is Josh. It is Tuesday, January 31st. And today we are joined by our friend, Enter the Drag Dragon screenwriter, Mark Polisell. Very good. Did you get it right? Polisell? 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 Close. Yeah, Damn perfect. It. It's, we good rehearsed enough. it right before too. We're like, we're going to blow it. It's better than Lee, who I've known for a hundred years. Just that second R in his name. I've always gone DeMarb. DeMarbre. I, but I, I've heard... I feel like the people who say Demarbre aren't pronouncing it correctly. Yeah, I overhit it. Demarbre. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't sound <laughs> I don't right. think I remember right. I remember the first this is like twenty years ago meeting Lloyd Kaufman with him and Lloyd always calling him Lord Demabre or <laughs> Lee Demabre. Oh god. Lee Demabre. <laughs> And like he would never correct him either. Like no, when it's I... someone like that who he respects so much, he's like, "Call me whatever you want." So my secret origin with Lee is before we were friends. I worked at West Coast Video Bank Street, two seconds from the Mayfair Theater, and Lee worked at West Coast Video Orleans. And Lee, I think how strange it is. He is a long-term suburbanite because he grew up in and now is living as a family man. In Orleans. Like all Orleans, whole life. All I met Orleans. him in his wild days when he lived on Laurier Street. Downtown. Oh, wow. <laughs> when apartment. he briefly broke out. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Yeah. That's where I did high school co-op. Oh, wow. That's part of my Lee Orton story. That's amazing. So so your high school co-op was... Jesus. Wow. Interesting. So I, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. Yeah, you're for not, those. just not the guy. <laughs> 2,000 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you better um, so I was looking at this morning and I have an email I sent him in June 2000 and I was 16 at the time, 15, 16, 15, and he was much older man in his 20s. <laughs> Ancient. And, and I sent an email to him be like, I really love to help on your movie. I, I love movies, name dropping all sorts yeah, yeah. of stuff. Trying to sound cool, but <laughs> like not I nervous. Read today, I wrote like four paragraphs and then he surprisingly wrote me back. I remember he didn't have a computer at his house now in hindsight realizing. So he, he checked it. Ian, who lived across the street at the time, and he wrote me back, it's all cool, like, I like Blair Witch too. I met Asia Argento at Sundance. But that's him And then, call me after your exams. can come work on the movie. Cool. And so, yeah, basically, like, every weekend when I was, like, 16, I was working Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter and just always around. I remember Phil used to call me Little Lee. (laughs) (laughs) Always be around. After long days of shooting, I'd go to the Dominion with them and have a Coke. (laughs) Well, they were were all having their beer and stuff. And then when school got near, so this would have been grade 12, he's like, do you want to do co-op with me? And I was like, "Uh, yeah. (laughs) So my four credits of high school is Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. Oh, wow. Four credits. Four credits. Because I not only, because I was non-semestered. And so the first few months of the year, you do one placement. And the second half of the year, you do another placement. And my teacher was like, you can stay there. (laughs) So every afternoon, I'd hop on the bus, go over to Lee's place. He'd be usually nursing a hangover (laughs) on the night before. We'd watch All in the Family at like 1 (laughs) o'clock. And then we'd jump on the Steenbeck. And it was like in hindsight now, it's like in the year 2000, 2001, when most people were not learning cutting film on mm. a 60 millimeter film on a steam bag i was getting that education i remember when he went on his honeymoon i still went to his place <laughs> to do co-op did he know yeah 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 <laughs> and i and he had me cut together the outtakes myself awesome. like i couldn't do it now i, but I <laughs> like splicing those outtakes together that a bunch of them ended up in the in the closing credits yeah, that would have been right on the kind of switch because I went to film school a little bit before that and 
I might have been the last generation and I loved it. I love doing sound stuff. And so one of my classmates and I did post sound for a short student film. And in the context of the film, there was a it was a guy going to a psychiatrist who may or may not have been abducted by aliens. So it was really fun because although the film didn't have any special effects, it was a student film. There was a couple of him waking up from a nightmare scenes or that sort of thing. And just every cliche, we got to be like, oh, we got some chirping frogs and a goat <laughs> and a camel and some wind and we'd patch it all together. But we were doing it That's on awesome. cut and paste. Okay. Whereas nowadays that would be on a laptop. Yeah. Before my co- So I did co-op in grade 11 as well. And I did it at Saw Video. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to use a very early Avid, which I don't recall anything to do with right, <laughs> like right. how to edit. I wish I had that skill still, but I remember that. And then just, and I remember at the time when I met Lee, he was like digital. Yeah. <laughs> like film. Yeah. Film That'll go nowhere. Real. Film is real. You don't just delete it with a click of a button by accident. <laughs> so I remember that snobbery <laughs> like, oh, yeah. came off on me. But no, yeah. So I helped edit Jesus. I mean, I, I shadowed him while he edited. I did the outtakes and then I... I remember just when it got released, just the the memories of the release of that movie. And then the next year going like a bunch of screenings in Toronto with them and and Kingston and just having a blast. I remember my mom was always like, what's this older man doing? (laughs) (laughs) Always concerned. Like what? Yeah. A confirmed weirdo, no (laughs) less. I mean, we all are, but yeah, like, but yeah, no, it was great times. And then I went to, I went to Algonquin for script writing after high school, followed that up with not getting anything made, but I, since 2007, I've run C4 wrestling, which is, I want to talk uh, more about that. That's like, which is like, it's a different form of storytelling, but that's something I, I went into, but all the same while I've been, I've been writing screenplays and hoping something happens and drag dragon took 10 years from the initial concept. I totally forget the specific example, but I was listening to a podcast. I think it was a Saturday Night Live writer or something like sure. that, and they hopped over to WWE. Sure. I mean, if I'm not, I can't compare myself to what WWE does just because the way that they make seven hours of TV a week. Yeah. Right? But that's incredibly comparable to SNL because you're only as good as your next one, right? And mm-hmm. you're constantly doing stuff. For me, it's not as... Yeah, I'm not... I put together a monthly event and... People in Ottawa seem to enjoy it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the shows are doing, we had, we had like 600 people a week ago, and people seem to like it. If I'm comparing that to writing a screenplay, like my well-versed <laughs> screenplay <laughs> writing is as seen at the end of Drag Dragon, but it's very different. In the span of time, it took to, okay, from the original idea of Sneaky Tigers, which became Drag Dragon, almost 10 years, and I've run 100 shows in that amount of time. Whereas for the shows, it's you get an immediate crowd reaction. You have an idea in your head a few days earlier, and boom, it happens in front of an audience. I've grown to be pretty confident in my ability to put on a good wrestling show. So my nerves for Drag Dragon, where I'm, I was removed. It's, it's, <laughs> it was Lee's magic that put it together, right? And he could see every angle of it more than I could at times. So I was very nervous <laughs> yeah. about Drag Dragon. Well, in a screenplay is different. I know, same thing, the 10-year overnight success story, but <laughs> over COVID times... I feel bad at how much success I had because over COVID times, a comic book miniseries that a friend and I have been working on forever called Damn Cursed Children came out. I wrote an episode of DC Superhero Girls and I was in an anthology called Flip that is published by a British publisher. So all stuff that I didn't do myself, that was the most fun. I was like, wow, other people are doing this. But it's all just Damn Cursed Children, same thing, started years back. And people were like, oh, is it influenced by COVID? And we're like, no, we wrote this like eight years ago. And it's different too. 
akin to screenwriting, it's a team. So whether it be an editor looking at that comic book script or your artist changing something or your co-writer changing something or you changing words because the balloon's too big. And in film, it's the same where you might have somebody who improvs something on the set or has to be cut because of length. And so I always tell people like, you can't be precious if you want to be writing movies or comics because it's a team game. Well, especially if you're not on set most of the time, too. He's not going to call you every five seconds and be like, okay, well, what do you think we do this? You know, it's just... No, and especially because it was made... It was shot over four years. Yeah. And you both know Lee and how passionate he is about film. And if he starts watching something, he might get influenced by something. And then I remember one day it was he was calling me. He's like, I was watching Sunset Boulevard and there's a shot of someone floating in the pool. And I want to have that in the movie. And there was no sequence <laughs> in the movie that offered that. But then there was like, let's, okay, now there's a scene. Yeah. So it was 2013. We started working on several ideas, different script ideas. And what became Drag Dragon was probably the least developed of them all. There's another one that we worked on for years and got pretty close with a number of people that just didn't happen. And tonally, it's completely, completely different. It's different for Lee. It's it's like a gritty, gory, crime, sexy, horror <laughs> film. Some of that sounds like him. Yeah. <laughs> but, but well, it's it. his influences, but nothing he's ever really mm-hmm. put out there before. And who knows? Hopefully, maybe one day that happens. But so... Drag Dragon, I remember, so it was originally, as he mentioned at the screening, it was originally this kids starring horror film, like a Monster Squad meets Jackie Chan. <laughs> I remember at first I was having a real hard time trying to figure out and then having a meeting with him and couldn't be like big trouble in little China with these kids. And then he's like, yes. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so there can be mummies, there can be zombies, there can be all these things. So yeah, we started developing that as an outline and had that sitting around for a while. And then I remember in 2017, he's like, let's, that's what I want to do. And I remember, like, I was at a real bad place mentally. I had a young, like, one young child that just really burnt out on life. And I'm like, I don't know. If I can do. He's like, this is what we're doing. I'm like, okay. So I remember over the next few months writing different drafts of it. And then it would have been in, like, spring 2018. He called me. He's like, Mark, nobody's excited about me making this movie. So I've got this idea. Anytime I got a message, text, I'm like, can you call me tonight? I was like, oh, darn, this is going to be something. <laughs> and so I call him. And he's like, so I know this guy, Sam. He does Rocky Horror. And I really think it would be cool if he could star and it would be a drag queen as the lead. I'm like, just the kid. Like, and the kids are like, no, everyone. Everyone's, everyone's adults now. I'm like, okay. He's like, don't change the script at all. Everyone will just be drag queens. Or he'll just be a drag queen and we'll make this this movie. And I'm like, okay, I'll go through the script and make some changes because he had already we had already gotten to like cast he he'd been going to like dojos and meeting with some kids and their parents to try and get them in this Man. this martial arts movie this big passionate dude is like hey yeah, I, yeah. i'm really interested in your children you're like okay <laughs> we gotta go <laughs> which so which in hindsight for had it been kids covid would have just destroyed this movie oh yeah well and plus like because just it like it would have been like a martial arts version of boyhood yeah. So it would have been like these kids oh, aging over oh, four God. years. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. I and, was just thinking with like trying to get them at all for... scheduling as it was exactly, would have yeah. been a challenge. So back to him telling me, he's like, I, I have his friend Sam. And he also, one of the things I remember he, he said to me was, Sam does Rocky Horror. And this was at the time Disney was taking over at Fox. And he's like, I don't know how much time we can keep doing Rocky Horror. So I'd really like to do this for Sam. That was one thing I remember he specifically said to me. I don't know if he remembers him, but that's what something he said to me. And so I was like, okay. And I reworked the script. As you mentioned earlier, July 2018, we had a script reading here at the Mayfair. And I remember him coming up to me very frazzled at one point being like, I got to get out of here soon because I just found out my mom's dying. So I was like, okay. Yeah, what do you say to that? Honestly. Um, And so then I was going to Fantasia for Frontiers Market. And I had a meeting with some producers about some other project as well as bring up Drag Dragon about the time. And he's like, we got to 
put it on pause and so obviously so and then as he's spoken of a bunch he he spent the next six to eight months just with his mom as often as possible and then we finally started shooting in here well he he shot with greg sestero and josh grace at the aquatarium in brockville in their pirate ship set oh yeah yeah <laughs> to shoot those scenes in late february 2019 or, or i think it was march 1st 2019 and then like a week later very late Sunday nights at like 11 p.m. He'd be shooting here with the first scenes shot. So yeah, March 2019. So four, almost four years ago. Man. And yeah, I, I was out for a little while in those shoots and my wife was second was pregnant with our second child. So there really wasn't like, I can't really just be like, bye. <laughs> yeah, you can't family. justify that. <laughs> I have to get up early on Monday. So, but I'd be, I was here for a few of the, the early shoots. Yeah, then he started getting, he was out every weekend in the summer shooting a bunch. And then, yeah, I remember the Lloyd stuff probably was like October 2019. It was uh, September 29th. I know that because sure, it was, was the day before. Yeah, <laughs> right, you idiot. No, it, it was the day before I started my job. Okay. That's the only reason I remember it because I started September 30th. And it's just so random to me that to think. It was like a light switch, you know, like I just, and now I'm three years into the career and I was like, oh, the movie's coming out now. You know, yeah. like it's like one of those things. But, oh my God, yeah, like what a blur for you especially. Like, I mean, and my biggest shock is like, are you implying that wrestling is scripted? Yeah. This is a great shock to I, me. I mean, I've never written a script for any of my 100-plus show. I write an outline, and, I, and the performers... You see? I book talent to do the best within parameters, I said. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I've been to some like, of your shows, actually. And I'm, okay. I'm not the... I loved wrestling as a kid, obviously, like WWF, and like... Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, like... I could, Anyway, I'm not just going to name 50 wrestlers. I could... <laughs> but the point is, I really loved that. And then, you know, when I grew up, I stuck watching a little bit, but, like, a friend of mine is a huge fan of the local shows, and so we've gone to a few with him kind of thing, and it's, it's a vibe thing. I know we're... we're now talking about the movie but like just as a side note it's really fun when you're not you might not be the biggest fan of this or that but like when you're in that room and there's that energy yeah like you just you get into it you can't help it i like one of the lines i use is there's two types of people in ottawa c4 fans and those who just haven't been yet yeah yeah you don't have to like wrestling but you come out it's 500 people just having a good time there's never any issues with the crowd Mm -hmm. yeah i've never like people are just there to have fun and watch a show and it's a good vibe and the other thing i always tell people in terms of Ottawa, the three things you have to do is C4, Mayfair, and House of Tark. Mm-hmm. Like the... Sometimes in the same night if you pull sure. it off. <laughs> I think Sam would be a good wrestler. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> like one of those kind of 80s heels who wears feather boas and and makes the people in the audience question their sexuality you know like there was one wrestler that reminded me it kind of had i'll never remember the name but it had kind of like a dog vibe it's like a tall guy and he kind of one of my shows or in like wwe no not wwe no no no. i think this was at it was on uh waverly at at acclaim yeah yeah rivals but this was like years ago i'm sorry i've been to both i swear to god but i had they took me they i said no only mark Polisol shows. <laughs> Pretty sure I said that right. You did. So, so, yes. All forgiven. Well, yeah, we can stop recording now. He nailed his name. See, I was a kid in the golden age sure, yeah. of WWF. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if this story is true, but supposedly they lost WWF because they tried to sue the Panda Company. No, the, and then lost. Versa, maybe? Versa. Yeah. Right. And they apparently... So, I don't know all the details. Yeah. They were allowed to be called World Wrestling Federation. It was something with, within UK, I believe. Huh. Internationally, they were allowed to be just World Wrestling Federation. But then in all their brashness and stupidity, they're like, well, we're just going to push forward with WWF wherever we want. Yeah. And then, yeah, there was a, the Pandas one. 
Yeah, I love that though. For I, think I, I just imagine the big boss guy just getting like furious that the environmental group beat him and took yeah. his name away. I was crushed as a kid. I remember that when they changed the name. I was just like, but, but it's WWF. Like I was so stubborn about it. I never liked the new logo. The initial new logo, I think, was just all scratchy and crazy. Yeah. Where the old one was this nice, iconic. Oh, the, the yeah, it was so cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. But when I was a kid, I saw Hulk Hogan fight the big boss man. Yeah. I believe at the Civic Center, if I'm remembering correctly. You look back on it, and it's the most ABCD hilarious. Especially an Ottawa show. So in those days, they would have been running three tours a night. It's so crazy. In those days, they were running yeah three tours a night, guys on for like weeks at a time. And so they had probably a show in Ottawa, somewhere in like the Northeast US, and then probably somewhere in like the Midwest. And they just, if you had Hogan on the show, that would have been the A A roster. And then a C roster would have been like in some small like high school gym somewhere in the States, right, right. but they just constantly were running and it's but I always remember mine was he came out and he was Hulk Hogan and the big boss man came out and every funny thing I can't remember if the big boss man had a manager but he would have had slick at the time oh there you go <laughs> we got so the right guy would, the this would have been 19 I could find you the exact show oh, wow. I so it. slick distracted <laughs> like the, the, the card listing I could find it easily online the referee <laughs> yeah and it's just the referee like turns around and it's like blah 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 and then big boss man pulls out his billy club which even as a kid i was like why did they even let him bring the billy yeah, club to fair. the ring that I mean, doesn't seem fair james he, the snake was allowed to bring a snake. i was about to say yeah. like how's that fair but then he hits hulk hogan knocks him the hell out crowd's going wild and then if i remember correctly right at the last minute hulk hogan took the handcuffs and handcuffed the big boss man to the ring. <laughs> and then as the true inspirational hero that he was, hit the guy with a billy club. Wait, with his own billy club? With, with his own billy club. Oh, man. So all of us eight-year-olds are like, yeah, let's hit people <laughs> with billy clubs. Yeah. But it was like the song playing and him ear to the yeah. crowd. And I remember being a kid and just being like, this is the greatest moment of my life. And the card, you're going to look it up now. but like, Yeah, obviously. It was a lot of hacksaw, a guy with a parrot. Coco Beware. Oh, Coco Beware. Beware. The Birdman. Come on. Guy with a What is this? <laughs> Even I'm offended I? by that. <laughs> but I also remember some of them, Jake the Snake with his Jake the Snake song and his snake and t-shirts <laughs> and crowd going wild, up against Jim Jones. <laughs> and... Even as a kid, I remember being like, I don't think this other guy's going to win. <laughs> so I don't know what you call that, but like some of the cards a were... A squash match. A squash match. Man, <laughs> some of them were Big Boss Man might win. Or, you know, if it was Hacksaw versus Jake the Snake, you're like, one of those might win. But the other ones were just like... Like, like a red shirt, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, Coco Beware versus some guy pulled from the crowd. <laughs> Man, I want to see that show now. That sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, it was great, though. It was great. Well, I mean, that would have been comic books come to life. It was, it was yeah. And that's that's the market they hit in the 80s with the rock and wrestling connection from like 84 until 89. That was just like these real life superheroes. And now I find just seeing them on just today, I saw whoever the champion is. I watched tonight show before coming here while doing some work and they got the big belt still, but he just looks like a guy. Like he's a big guy, but he doesn't have face paint. He's but not he ripping can destroy his shirt you off. Still, oh right? my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I personally don't know how any child can get into watching it yeah. these days because when I was growing up, it was an hour or two hours on a Saturday afternoon, which is when I'm prime television surfing. And now it's three hours on Monday night, two hours on a Friday night, plus other shows. If you're watching other promotions as well, like AEW's on Wednesday nights, there's just like tons yeah. of it. So there are new fans getting, but just like any media, it's very splintered, right? So it's the audience is very, it's much smaller than it used to be. But I, yeah, I just don't know how new fans get into it. And it was days. relatively recently, I think, 
The Undertaker retired? Yes, a couple years ago. And I was like, how old was he? He was around when I was a kid. Yeah. And I was like, was this like Undertaker 3? Did they just keep replacing Undertakers? Same guy. But that now that goes back to when you saw Hogan and Bossman. Yeah. In your head, these are adults. Exactly. But yeah. they're, they were like in their late 20s, early 30s when you're watching them. Yeah. But if you look at pictures of them, like, these guys do not look like. No. <laughs> yeah. Like, Hulk Hogan, I think, has been 50 yeah. for about 40 oh, years. Yeah. Same with Schwarzenegger. Like, I mean, he as a sure. kid, he was jacked as hell. And I'm like, that guy's massive. Yeah. But yeah, I think Undertaker was the last superhero, supervillain. I don't know. Like, I'm not... But who, who... He's definitely of an iconic age for any viewer who would have seen it, watched in the early 90s. And they played it up that he was an undead zombie guy. Yeah. Like, he had, he had superpowers. Then, then he became a Satanist. Then he became yeah. a biker. Now he's just like a Blue Lives Matter old retired guy who you really don't want to pay attention to. Oh, yes, so, yes. Sounds about right. Yeah. Unfor- yeah. Unfortunately, the giant zombie turned out to be not the best of person. Oh, yeah. It's funny when you, when you hit the point where you're like, wait a minute, I don't know if I believe it because I remember seeing one when I was a kid I think it was Vader versus someone or other okay. and then you think he really knocked him out and then he knocked out the ref and they're like oh my god I, I hope he's okay and, you, and you're like oh my god this guy's going crazy up there and then after or like or, you know Kane's face is burned and all this stuff and then you see and you're like wait his face was never burned like, <laughs> that guy was never in danger you're like it's almost like this is some sort of made up thing you know yeah. Kane turned out to be a, a libertarian <laughs> anti-abortion mayor of Knoxville County Tennessee true another great guy god, god. This is insane. And the brother, you know, it was the, the brother of Undertaker, so I guess it made sense. Exactly, I mean, they're yes. both not great, but jeez. Uh, but none of this has anything to do with the Drag Dragon movie we were supposed to be talking no, so about. I will say, I think it's funny. We tried to have you on earlier, but yes. it's it's so hard to schedule a podcast. But I like that we're doing this. It's this nice camaraderie with our sister cinema. We're not associated with in any financial means, sure. but our friends at the Bytown, I think it's great, are hosting Enter the Drag Dragon immediately after us which does make sense too because a longtime actor in lee's movies is a bytown guy so yeah, oh, yeah phil okay yeah. yeah yeah and so it's interesting that it's hopping across towns i am coming to see the movie tomorrow yeah, i was gonna say i've seen it twice he has not I've, seen I've it i've seen it zero so times. we can't even talk spoilers I like i wanted to <laughs> i've seen a lot of the rough cuts in the yeah, in, yeah even spoiler i've seen the ending because lee was like do you like this one better or True. this one better but i'm coming to see it tomorrow but for those who miss it at the Mayfair, this podcast might be up in time for you to come see the Thursday night show. Go see it at the Bytown, and then just pay attention to Lee or Mark's social media, I'm sure. Lee's doing a very good job about getting the word out. We got Mm. into this festival. We got into that festival. I don't remember the specificity, but I know it's going to, I think, Toronto and Calgary at least, and maybe Vancouver. Yeah, so. I'm not sure of the exact plans. I don't know. I like. I'm hoping there's some festival screenings in there. I don't know what the exact release is. But I mean, Lee's doing what he did with Jesus, and that was taking it out on yeah. on, on, mm-hmm. on his own and not going through a distributor. I mean, I'm sure at some point it'll enter the hands of a distributor. But for now, I think he wants to get as much out of it touring it himself as he can. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I know I keep coming back to to Jesus, but <laughs> it was there was magic there. I remember I remember the premiere and walking to the Bytown that afternoon and. Just just, we saw the lineup all around the block. And so the seeing the lineups around mm. the block here have just been really hitting us in the warm and fuzzies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. These memories. Because I know, I can't speak for Lee, but I know for me, it was 20 years ago, it was cover of Express. All this print media that was out there and being able to 
easily saturate a market like Ottawa with being in the know of this things coming out. And now it's like, I don't know. Thankfully, he was able to get on an awesome review with Tom McSorley, Mm -hmm. got on CBC, got on CTV, some TV and radio. But the awareness of having stuff out there just in print form and just people picking up newspapers, being on the cover of The Citizen and these things just doesn't exist to the way it used to. Mm -hmm. So it was very like, I see the likes on Facebook, but it's going to translate to anyone coming out to the movie. It's so hard because 20 years ago, every town had local critics and local journalists. And it's so tough now because now, and I don't know who owns who, but I do know that our rag newspaper in town, the Ottawa Sun, and our legit (laughs) newspaper, the Ottawa Citizen, are owned by the same people. And once upon a time, you might have a Roger Ebert review in various papers. Mm -hmm. But now... You've got, for a major movie, say, like, stuff we're screening soon, like The Sun or Tar, there's one review, and that will be in every newspaper across Canada. For real, one review. We had a photo in our slideshow for a while, and it was before Shoppers opened next door. It seems like 75 years ago. There was a row of newspaper boxes. And those newspaper boxes were The Sun and The Citizen, yep. but then The Express, which was the cool yeah. local weekly. Like Dose or something Dose, like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? Metro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Metro. And it seems like 50 extra? years ago. Yeah, Campbell and extra? in this neighborhood, a more distributed Carlton University newspaper. Sure, yeah. But I think there was eight or ten newspaper boxes, yeah. and one was like, you know, the realtor one or whatever. Sure. But now there is zero. Now yeah. there is zero. There's also the problem of there's too much being made. Because recently, there's an Oscar-nominated animated feature film called The Sea Beast. And I was like, what is that? And it's the director of Moana. Yeah, I watched it with my kids. Carl Urban's in it. That makes sense. And I've heard a couple people now say it's very, very good. I'm a giant nerd. I've never heard of this movie. And Netflix is very bad about not advertising some stuff. But an Oscar-nominated film I never heard about, and now I'm going to watch it. So when you're a little guy, there's so many other little guys and mm-hmm. so many festivals and so many websites and podcasts. It's hard to kind of get in there sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, more and more you're seeing some of the things get in there. Like a yeah. Terrifier 2 or a Skin oh, Marine, which are yep. both... It comes down to genre cinema seems to find a way, usually. And it's always funny when you see these think pieces come out about, like... Horror is profitable. This <laughs> is the same thing. You've been saying this for 60 years. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Independent genre films will work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Mayfair type cinemas are very supportive. So yes. that's why places I know in Calgary, Edmonton, mm-hmm. Vancouver, Toronto, I'm sure it's going to roll out there. I did not see the movie Friday because I took the bullet and worked so <laughs> other staff members could go see it. But just being part of that night was fun because there was a lot of cast and crew here. Everyone was so excited. A roar of a standing ovation at the end. Yeah. And that I love it whenever we have the dictionary definition of a blockbuster, which is yeah. the line goes around the block. It did really great on Friday and Saturday. And like you mentioned, CBC, who could have just talked about the movie, talked about it being local. Yeah. And if they did not like it, could have tiptoed around it nicely and been like, sure. go support Locals Local Film it's at the Mayfair. But the critic was tripping over himself at how much he loved it. Basically, every line Tom McSorley gave was like a pull quote for the poster. Yeah, yeah. yeah right? <laughs> it was almost like too much. I tried writing them all down and sending them like, there's like five things. And it was also nice because I sent it to both my parents. And be like, listen, this <laughs> Look what I did. Like, yeah. don't, don't see the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I've been saying really to my parents. Need to see this movie. <laughs> my sister came out to the premiere. I'm like, thank you. Yeah. Other family members are like, I'm, you really don't need to watch this one <laughs> well even trying to explain it to my cousin-in-law my aunt-in-law was in town recently and just telling her about it just certain words that <laughs> that kids today i feel like an old man i was kids today well it's very 
It's campy, and it's a big kind of action-adventure film. Drag main characters, and so if you know what drag is, you know, just trying to use these kind of keywords and saying, and it's hard to explain, but if you know the genre and you just say, like, oh, it's a fun martial arts drag movie, sure, people get that. I think they know they're not going to be walking into Tar. Yeah. They're walking to something more Troma or John Waters-esque. You I mean, know? should surprise the people with Tar and play Drag Drag instead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, we're, we're more likely to have people walking into Tar than Tar, yeah. but... Yeah. I mean, people actually, after I, I did cinema Saturday, obviously, and I was talking to someone waiting for the bus. There was a couple of punks, like literally a couple of punks across the street just having a smoke. And I had the Drag Dragon shirt on. And they were like, oh, how'd you get the shirt? Like, oh, we were just seeing it tonight. They were like, And they were like losing their minds over it. And then they were going home to watch Class of 1984. So I was like, you guys are yeah. all right. You know? like, <laughs> Hope for the future. Yeah, right. Uh, okay, so as I said to Mark before, we usually talk too much and then go, oh wait, we should do what this show's about. Yeah, we talked about wrestling for about wrestling. 15 minutes. I knew we were going to talk about wrestling because I think that's really <laughs> cool. But yeah, so everything you've heard great about Tar is true. And you're like, oh, she's the best actress in the world. Yeah. And I won't give too many spoilies, but it is a slow burn, but there's still some real good humor and just some real good punches in there. There's a couple parts in the movie where, especially with the crowd, the crowd gasped at like a twist. And I love that. And that's the, you got to see a movie, whether it be a drag dragon type movie right. or a tar type movie. There's something about that aura of yeah. being in a crowd. And when Kate Blanchett does something bonkers and the crowd goes like at a wrestling show, you're just like, yeah. 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 <laughs> but like you're actually, a twist in Drag Dragon got a gasp on Saturday. I was night. gonna say there, there, was, there was multiple. I was shocked to yeah. hear that reaction. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and I was like, <gasps> yeah, there was there was even the second night too. The gasps held up. That's what I was saying on the second night, which wasn't the friends and family audience. Yeah, it was like a a gasp. I was like, okay, yeah, it's a real gasp. <laughs> and so our other grown up movie this week is The Sun, which is a movie that. Some critics and some fans are like, oh, it's a big Oscar snub movie this year because it got zero nominations. It's from the director of The Father, which was that a year ago, two years ago? God, I mean, it feels like two, but it might have been one. It was the year Anthony Hopkins won his best actor. Yeah, and, and he it, reprises the role in this movie. Yeah, it's strange. I always find it weird when dramatic kind of grown-up movies have sequels <laughs> or prequels. Yeah. Because you associate it with Star Wars or Friday mm-hmm. 13th. So, but this is... I guess in the same world and yeah. Hugh Jackman is the son, but Hugh Jackman was not in no. the father. Yeah. And there is, it is a trilogy of books or I don't know if it's oh, books okay. or plays or right. both. I think it's plays. I think so he plays. adapted his own plays. And so I'm, I imagine he'll do the third one. I, I don't, is the I mean, daughter next? I, I, you know what? I, is, is the Holy Ghost? I don't know. I can't remember <laughs> what the third one is. I did look it up because it was because I heard about the son and I was like, the hell? This is like a sequel to that movie I also didn't see. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, and there's a third one. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Even if I'm not the audience for these, that's neat that he's able to do it. And I've heard this one is very good, mm-hmm. but it's also just one of those you got to take a knee afterwards because it's like a <laughs> gut punch of a heavy yeah, yeah. drama. Yeah, laugh riot, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I like you, Jackman, though. I like any actor mm-hmm. who can balance... Like, his next movie is going to be Wolverine Deadpool, right? And so I like actors who kind of flop back and forth like that and can do the heavy drama and do the action movies. Yeah, like Russell Crowe a little bit. He's done some, like, wacky stuff over the years. Yeah, and so this is zero Oscar nominations, but it was on the list of a lot of people thought it was going to get some. That's a bit shocking that it got none at all. Like, not even adapted. Nothing. Yet Glass Onion got adapted, even though it's, yeah, you know. That's Maybe it's good. Movie. There was too many good movies this year. Yeah, true. We always say that. Yeah. run a movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we are holding over the aforementioned 
Skinamarink for a second week. Mm. We're going to watch that today. Yeah, so it's doing well, obviously. Yeah, it did 70 people on Sunday night. Which is a lot. Yeah. Like, I know it's made almost $2 million theatrically. Which sounds like not much for, to people who are used to it. For a $15,000 movie, exactly. that's incredible. That's the thing. Like, when you really think about, the, when you break that down for people, like like a yeah. Halloween or a Blair Witch or something sure, like yeah, that, yeah. you know? Because when people are like, oh, it made $2 million? Like, that's nothing. I'm like, It's well. probably, at the moment, more profitable than Avatar. Probably. Because yeah. doesn't Avatar have to make $2 billion to break even or something crazy like that? And it probably will. I mean, as much as I was a bit surprised, I was like, hey, shit, he did yeah. it again. <laughs> like, again and again. <laughs> but I think it's really the new, although not the same thematically exactly, but it definitely is a Blair Witchy type thing where it has so much buzz around it and so much this little movie that could. Because there's all kinds of little no-budget horror mm. movies that get made every year. So this one, you would think, has to be something special that it's garnered this attention. Mm. And it's Canadian. Yes. Yeah, even better, you know, yeah. like it's, it's cool that we got it. And I like that it's playing off of Drag Dragon, you know, like off nights, you know, like because it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's a real stacked week. So our other late show next week is another great retro film that has a 4K restoration, Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, classic. The classic from John Carpenter. I've never seen this movie. So I'm glad to get to see it on the big screen in a big restoration. It's also it's got an incredible score mm-hmm. as John Carpenter. Is this yeah, him yeah. doing the keyboard score? I don't even. It's yeah, it's synthy. Yeah, it's it's his like yeah, it's it's his score, and it's got another one of his great scores. <laughs> and this was what two years 70, before Halloween? Seventy six. Seventy six. Yeah. Seventy six. Yeah. Two years before Halloween. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. He would have made Dark Star than Assault. His. Halloween. I love that his like Dark Star, which like science fiction. Spaceships. I've never seen Dark Star. Oh, I've seen Dark Star. Uh, I need. I'm waiting for like a really nice special edition. Yeah, yeah. It's gotta be coming. <laughs> like it's gotta be <laughs> to complete my Carpenter shelf. But yeah, right. But then to follow that with Assault on Precinct 13, which is a bare bones cop it's action a Western kind of thing. siege movie, right? Yeah, which is stuff he loved was Western. So and then Halloween, and then the Elvis TV movie. Yep, that's a crazy. <laughs> Have you first... watched that yet? Though? No, I really mm-hmm. want to see it, but it's not. Maybe it's out there somewhere, but it's not easily available. You Shout think it Factory would be... put it out on Blu-ray a few years ago. You think it would pop up on Shout Factory or Tubi yeah, or something? Think, like Shout Factory TV might play it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you got to sit around and wait the whole time. And I don't know. <laughs> you'd be at home and stuff like cable used to be. It's uh. probably out there and I'm too cheap because it's probably like a $50 Blu-ray plus $50 shipping or something. You're just coming up with ways to not watch this. <laughs> Actually, Josh, on Amazon. Yeah, right yeah, now. <laughs> he brought you a copy. You still won't watch it. Lee must have it. Lee owns everything. You would think. Every once in a while, I'll ask Lee if he has a Blu-ray just randomly, and he doesn't have it. And he's like, why'd you ask me for that? I'm like, I don't know, because you have 900 Blu-rays. <laughs> you'd think you'd have have that as well. Yeah, honestly. But yeah, so, and this is, this is funny, because as we mentioned, Lee is a big film proponent, which I am not. I look at it from the point of view of, yeah, it would be great if we had a mint condition 35 millimeter print of assault on precinct 13 i mean you wouldn't have seen one of those since 1976 exactly (laughs) yeah and you see these movies and i always remember one of the first movies we screened on our fancy new projector was santa claus conquers the martians (laughs) and the year before we screened a really beat up 16 millimeter print where it was it was grainy and it was scenes cut and the sound was awful and then we screened it again on digital and it was just like it was the first time ever seen and it's the joke we have of like this movie has no right to look this good and so a movie like assault on precinct 13 which there's probably a print floating around there somewhere there definitely is I'm but sure. yeah there's literally probably scenes missing mm-hmm. the sound's probably terrible and that's the harsh reality of 
film versus digital in 2023. Like, I mean, I'd love to see. Oh yeah, on 35, I I love seeing stuff on 35, but it's a treat these days. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's not as accessible. And if a whole bunch of new people can see Assault on Precinct 13 on the big screen right now, exactly. It almost like it was filmed yesterday. Like, yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we screened Batman 66 and then on film, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Because you think of the life that this film had, where it went, where it screened. And I don't know if it was a 66 print, but it was an old print. And it was so beat up that luckily our audience has a good sense of humor. But there were scenes where punchlines were missing. (laughs) Or they would hit the bat pole and go down and they'd just be in the car. So you'd miss the three seconds of them running to the car. And then the next year we screened, it might have been the 50th anniversary, like 2016. Sure. And it was so beautiful. And the colors and the sound... And it's hard to argue of, do you want to show it on that film print again or this one? Like if the option was there, if it was pristine 35 exactly. millimeter yeah. prints, of course, that is yeah. what I want to see it on. But yes, unfortunately, that's not a, a situation that <laughs> seems to exist. Yeah. exist. Uh, and then finally this week, a Ottawa premiere of a local horror film called Mind Leech. Cast and crew will be in attendance and the synopsis of the film is that it is a, a semi-improvised horror movie starring a very influential invertebrate. Join Sheriff Paley and Deputy Johnson as they follow in the wake of destruction left behind by the pesky parasite. So there you go. You nailed that. I did it. <laughs> and it's a Josh-sized special uh, Yeah, it's like an length. hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you love those. I love short movies. That's almost like too short for you, really. Like you, that's you're like, like a right seventy-three minute. You know, at like. that movie, I'm like stick an extra five minutes on there. Yeah, yeah. But I always say, according, I believe, still to this day, according to the Academy Awards, feature film is sixty minutes and over. Really, I thought it was like seventy. No, or, or well, they, they could have changed this, but I looked recently because I got in a in a non-argument with someone online because I'm like I got too much to do. I don't want to get an argument. <laughs> but there was something about short features where. Something came up like Nightmare Before Christmas or something. And we screened one a while ago. We screened a couple recently in recent years that were like 70 minutes. And some people were like, oh, is that not even a movie? I thought a movie was 90 minutes. And I looked it up and I was like, well, according to the Academy, and this probably goes back to like, you know, silent films. Yeah. But 60 minutes and over is technically a feature. And I like a good short movie. There's a lot of times where I'm like, yeah, that movie was good. We watched them and really liked them. I mean, it's a giant ant movie. Yeah. And it's 95 minutes. And I swear, I was like, that would have been a nice, tight 80-minute movie. Like, there was a lot of humans in that movie you could have cut out and just kind of... More ant action. More ants, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it seemed, you know, but it was fine. It's it's about what you expect. But I'm like, I don't know. I feel like Empire of the Ants was shorter than this. Yeah. But my leech, as with Enter the Drag Dragon... We always love hosting local mm-hmm. films, both selfishly, because every mom, dad, husband, wife, boyfriend, and girlfriend will come, and all the crew will come. But it really is, it is so humbling to see a director do their introduction and have them say, oh, it's a dream come true to have our premiere at the Mayfair. And it's moments like that where it's very hokey, but you're like, oh, we are making a difference here. <laughs> this is something. Having a local production Start out their quest here is always very nice. So I'm Mm -hmm. sure that'll be a fun night. So come out and check out Mind Leech. So that's it. That is our screenings for February 3rd through 9th. If you want to go see Enter the Drag Dragon in this upcoming week, check out the Bytown's website for specifics on dates and time. Saturday, I think, is the first one. Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, I believe. There you go. There you go. He seems to know. I think. I could be wrong. Oh, yeah. I had a question before we leave. How much of the finished script, what what did you say the differences between script versus what's on screen? Like, how much changed? 60%? 
<laughs> yeah, a lot. So are we talking? Okay, are we talking about? Because I mean, once the choice was made to go Drag Dragon versus right. yeah, yeah, the the kids version, yeah, yeah, from that from Plenty the, the rewrite to Dragon. I mean, the first two thirds more or less stay on a certain path. Okay, the final act goes <laughs> hey Mark, we're gonna do skydiving yeah <laughs> we're gonna, like, which we is got, great yeah. which is great and i said this I, I wrote lee an email last night and i just want to say i said like thank you because for a lot of the time during production i heard your enthusiasm but i like i felt like maybe i was faking it i was just like i couldn't see what he saw mm-hmm. i couldn't see the puzzle pieces in his head going together I knew the script I wrote, and I knew every week when I'd be like, "Hey Lee, what do what do you want to talk about?" <laughs> it's like, well, this person can't be here anymore, so we got to rewrite this whole like all these sequences going forward around this other actor. So that was a very yeah. <laughs> challenging thing. But being able to see finally, like with an audience, and removing myself from writing that script and just seeing how it played to an audience, mm-hmm. it was. It really it made me forget about those yeah. concerns. Yeah, it fits so well. Like, like it really you wouldn't have known otherwise. Like there are there's characters who disappear <laughs> like, <laughs> for a good part of the movie because of having to rework things and and I think it works. Yeah, nobody seems. I think care. because the thing is there's so much going on. Yeah. That it's it's a lot of silly fun, but an audience is enjoying themselves and yeah, the the whole third act really got changed. Like the structure is more or less there, but the in between yeah. is very different. And I know Lee threw in a, a joke with Sam stopping at the camera and saying, "Who wrote this?" Yeah, yeah. Like, which is like, yeah, that was not in the script. Yeah, <laughs> like, no. the I, whole the whole sequence was. <laughs> or like, I, I imagine it's as you said, it's a very collaborative. Like film is collaborative. Yeah, especially when it's made over a four year period. Yeah. with all volunteers, it's a cast of people who. The character of Gorsh at one point was written for Martin Cove. Oh, jeez. Four years ago. And then all sorts of stuff changed. Cobra Kai is huge. Oh, my God. And, like, that, he's a little more pricey now, I'm sure. You're honestly and, better off, though. Like, she did and such no, and a I know. good job. She's oh, my amazing. God. She crushed that. And then, yeah, again, stretch over years. You can't, as we spoke, as he spoke, it's just, it's like, it's it's a different movie for the better. Yeah, definitely. It, it evolved. Yeah. And had all these changes been made in the span of a month, I would have been like, whoa, I don't yeah, know. <laughs> like, this is crazy. This doesn't work. But yeah. <laughs> no, it worked. I can't wait for Josh to see it. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> I'm sure I will. <laughs> so thanks for listening, everybody. You can check out mayfairtheater.ca for showtimes. We look forward to having you here at the Mayfair. And if you're listening from out of town, just keep your eye out on your local indie cinema because Enter the Drag Dragon might be heading to your town soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Make sure you write me a meaty part for the sequel. I'm just <laughs> waiting. <laughs> <laughs> On Saturday, six members of the gang known as Street Thunder were ambushed by the police. On Sunday, the warlords of Street Thunder swore a blood oath to avenge their dead. For the gang called Street Thunder, it is a day of vengeance. It's war in the streets. Oh, Jesus, come on. Come on, I'll give you my money. Just don't hurt me. Please, please. It's terror in the night. It's the most shattering assault on a police station in history. Assault on Precinct 13. This is the siege. It's a goddamn siege. You want to stay here and hold until somebody comes. We're in the middle of a city, inside a police station. What does that mean? They're not afraid to die. Any of them. They want to rip us apart, no matter what it costs. It means to the death. 
Precinct 13. Cut off. Isolated in the middle of a city as a human wave of street killers turns the night into a nightmare. We got a war going on down here. We can't find the damn thing. A white-hot night of hate. Assault on Precinct 13. 